0: My wife's the reason anything gets done. She nudges me towards promise by degrees. She is a perfect symphony of one. Our son is her most beautiful reprise. We chase the melodies that seem to find us until they're finished songs and start to play. When senseless acts of tragedy remind us that nothing here is promised, not one day.
1: It's June 12th, and the Tony Awards are honoring the hit musical, Hamilton, on CBS. Lin-Manuel Miranda, who you just heard reciting a sonnet in place of an acceptance speech, won again and again all night. But June 12th will not be remembered for awards because earlier that day in Orlando, Florida, around 2 a.m., a single gunman killed at least 49 people at a gay nightclub in honor of those who died Miranda's sonnet continues.
0: The show is proof that history remembers. We live through times when hate and fear seem stronger. We rise and fall and light from dying embers, remembrances that hope and love last longer. And love is 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 love <laughs> cannot be killed or swept aside. I sing Vanessa's Symphony. Eliza tells her story. Now fill the world with music, love, and pride. Thank you so much for this.
1: From North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, this is Stories with a Heartbeat. I'm Will McInerney. Today, we're going to hear seven poets reading new works about June 12, 2016. Seven artistic reflections that were all posted to Facebook within a day of the tragedy in Orlando. They are raw and emotional. Some might find them difficult to listen to and there are some curse words. In a moment of violence, when we are speechless, sometimes poets can find the words.
2: How can we imagine ourselves when all the dead boys look like us? Admit
3: this sort of violence is not new, that it is not a product of Islam or radicalism, but of us. It is in our blood. I am human.
2: I am woman.
0: I am a lesbian. I am black. She says that she likes your lipstick. She thinks that you look beautiful. Today, we mourn together.
1: On the morning of June 12th, I was stuck in the airport with a delayed flight. Expected departure time unknown. The flight attendant didn't show up to work, and they couldn't find a replacement. Airline employees clamored into walkie-talkies. We tried calling him again and again, they said. He's just not picking up. At the same time in Orlando, there were dozens of people missing. I imagine their cell phones, lodged in pockets and resting in palms, scattered across the Pulse nightclub floor. How long did the phones ring again and again? One hour? Five hours, 10. A place that was supposed to be a sanctuary now plays a ringtone elegy that won't stop until the batteries die or hope is lost. As I sat in the terminal, the news grew louder as 20 fatalities turned to 50, as the murderer's name was found, and as politicians lined up empty-handed to offer prayers and sound bites. I turned away from the TV, and I took to Facebook, which is often not much better. But about half of my friends on Facebook are poets, and on any given day, there is always one, or two, or forty-nine poems to be found. In times of tragedy, poets do what poets do best. We process, we mourn, we connect, and we write. The following are poems posted to Facebook within a day of the tragedy. It's clear these words are resonating. By the time I reached out to the writers and asked them to record their work, these poems had been collectively shared over 50,000 times. Today, they share their voices with you. I work for a news company, but I'm telling you, turn off the news, just for a moment. And listen to some poetry.
2: My name is Christopher Soto. I'm originally from Los Angeles, California, but I'm living in Brooklyn right now. Uh, I heard the news on Sunday morning. I was uh, I spent the night at my partner's house, and I was reading the news on my phone um, as soon as I woke up. Why I wrote this poem was because I wasn't really able to process anything that was going on, and I just felt my gut turning, and so. I I write for two hours every morning, and so this is what came out. All the dead boys look like me. For Orlando. Last time I saw myself die is when police killed Jesse Hernandez, a 17-year-old brown queer who was sleeping in their car. Yesterday, I saw myself die again. Fifty times, I died in Orlando, and I remember reading Dr. Jose Esteban Munoz before he passed. I was studying at NYU where he was teaching, where he wrote shit that made me feel like a brown queer survival was possible, but he didn't survive. And now, on the dance floor, in the restroom, on the news, in my chest, there are another fifty bodies that look like mine and are dead and I have been marching for black lives and talking about police brutality against native communities too for years now but this morning I feel it I feel it again how can we imagine ourselves we being black native today brown how can we imagine ourselves when all the dead boys look like us once I asked my nephew where he wanted to go to college, what career he would like, as if the world was his for the choosing. Once he answered me without fearing tombstones or cages or the hands from a father, the hands of my lover. Yesterday praised my whole body, made the angels from my lips. Ave Maria, full of grace. He propped me up like the roof of a cathedral in New York City before we open the news in red and read about people who think two brown queers cannot build cathedrals only cemeteries and each time we kiss a funeral plot opens in the bedroom I accept his kiss and I lose my reflection I'm tired of writing this poem but I want to say one last word about yesterday My father called. I heard him cry for only the second time in my life. He sounded like he loved me. It's something I'm rarely able to hear. And I hope, if anything, his sound is what my body remembers first. I am human. I am woman. I am a lesbian, I am black. Not necessarily in that order. My name is Queen Sheba. I'm a spoken word artist, author, comedian, and rock singer living in Atlanta, Georgia. I should not have to feel like I'm living my life on eggshells because someone doesn't like any part of me just for being me. It is a very scary world to think that we are always in danger for just being who we are.
3: My name is Sierra DeMolder, and I am a two-time National Poetry Slam champion and the author of Today Means Amen. I first heard the news about Orlando Sunday morning. I had actually been out with some friends at a gay club the night before, um, dancing and feeling safe and um, feeling like ourselves. And I woke up and was drinking coffee on my porch, going through my phone when I saw the news. At times like this, you don't necessarily want pretty words. You want the words that hurt. You want the words that are painfully true. Take the time to count to 50. Now add family, add wounded. Acknowledge the shooting took place at a gay bar. Acknowledge that the nightclub was most likely filled with predominantly queer people of color. Recognize those who knew the shooter in Orlando report that he was heavily homophobic and hardly practiced his faith. Allow the condemnation of this violence and this broken person without anti-Muslim ideology. Acknowledge that the shooter was in fact an American and a licensed gun owner who used a weapon meant for war. Recognize our lawmakers are willing to pass legislation about where people can and cannot piss and shit and yet do nothing but offer up prayers for victims of gun violence. Acknowledge that this is the worst mass shooting in US history, but also the 134th with four or more victims this year. Recognize that this has always been America. That technically the worst mass shooting in our history was at Wounded Knee with an estimated 300 Lakota murdered. Know that this was 126 years ago. Do the math. Count how few generations separate us from this. Admit this sort of violence is not new. That it is not a product of Islam or radicalism but of us. It is in our blood, our history, the centuries of oppression and violence and exploitation that have gone unhealed. Now count to 50. Count to 300. Mourn, but do not look away.
4: This is Jameson Fitzpatrick. I'm a poet and teacher from Brooklyn, New York, reading a poem for Pulse. Last night, I went to a gay bar with a man I love a little. After dinner, we had a drink. We sat in the far back of the big backyard, and he asked, what will we do when this place closes? I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon, I said, though the crowd was slow for a Saturday. And he said, Yes, but one day. Where will we go? He walked me the half block home and kissed me goodnight on my stoop, properly, not too quick, close enough our stomachs pressed together in a second sort of kiss. I live next to a bar that's not a gay bar. We just call those bars, I guess. And because it is popular, and because I live on a busy street, there are always people who aren't queer people on the sidewalk on weekend nights. We just call those people, I guess. They were there last night. As I kissed this man, I was aware of them watching and of myself wondering whether or not they were just people. But I didn't let myself feel scared. I kissed him exactly as I wanted to, as I would have without an audience, because I decided many years ago to refuse this fear, an act of resistance. I left the idea of hate out on the stoop and went inside to sleep, early and drunk and happy. While I slept, a man went to a gay club with two guns and killed 49 people, at least. Today, in an interview, his father said he had been disturbed by the sight of two men kissing recently. What a strange power to be cursed with for the proof of our desire to move men to violence. What's a single kiss? I've had kisses no one has ever known about. So many kisses without consequence. But there is a place you can't outrun, whoever you are. There will be a time when it might be a bullet suddenly, the sound of it, Many. One man, two guns, 50 dead, two men kissing. Last night is what I can't get away from, imagining it. Them, the people there to dance and laugh and drink, who didn't believe they'd die, who couldn't have. How else can you have a good time? How else can you live? There must have been two men kissing for the first time last night, and for the last, and two women too, and two people who were neither, brown people mostly, which cannot be a coincidence in this country, which is a racist country, which is gun country. Today I'm thinking of the Bernie Boston photograph, Flower Power, of the Vietnam protester placing carnations in the rifles of the National Guard and wishing for a gesture as queer and simple. The protester in the photo was gay, you know. He went by hibiscus and died of AIDS, which I am also thinking about today because the government's response to AIDS was a hate crime. Reagan was a terrorist. Now we have a president who loves us, the big and imperfectly lettered us, and here we are getting kissed on stoops, getting married, some of us, some of us getting killed. We must love one another whether or not we die. Love can't block a bullet, but it can't be destroyed by one either. And love is, for the most part, what makes us us in Orlando and in Brooklyn and in Kabul. We will be everywhere, always. There's nowhere else for us or you to go. Anywhere you run in this world, Love will be there to greet you. Around any corner, there might be two men kissing.
5: Hometown, yet again, on the news. Religion, yet again, under fire both getting old my name is carmel dalshad i'm from daltona florida and i'm a journalist i first found out about the shootings in orlando on sunday morning um but i opened up my computer and quickly saw all the news and i immediately knew that this is you know this something of this scale has not happened in recent history in america um i of course thought probably like a lot of people i know who are ever American, um, not again. I thought the same thing in December, the San Bernardino attacks. Um, It just took me right back to being a 12-year-old in middle school, waiting in line at the water fountain, and hearing my classmate turn around as he wiped the water off his mouth, and he said, hey, what's up, terrorist? For me, growing up in a small town in Florida, I was one of a handful of Muslims, maybe three, that I knew of including myself. Um, and it was that immediate. I felt the ramifications of 9-11 that quickly after. It was just that morning.
0: Hello, my name is Jacob Tobia. Um I am a genderqueer writer, performer, and advocate uh, based out of Brooklyn, New York. But I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina. When I first heard about the Orlando shootings, uh, it was really surreal because, you know, it was like a sort of lazy Sunday morning like any other. I was laying in bed, lazily scrolling through my Facebook feed at around 10.30 a.m., a a little bit hungover, and, you know, then I saw that 50 people had been, you know, shot up in a, a gay bar in Orlando. I started reading and, you know, by the third paragraph of reading an article from the New York Times, I saw, you know, oh, they're investigating this attack as um, Islamic, an act of Islamic terrorism. Uh, and I just thought, oh, my God, fuck. We're going to react to this tragedy with more violence. We're going to react to this tragedy by demonizing like Muslim Americans. And I was like, I'll be damned if my queer community is used for that purpose. If this tragedy, that's our tragedy, that is a tragedy of homophobia and transphobia and prejudice and hatred is used to further violence abroad or at home. And so I, I I needed to write. I knew I needed to write. And my first instinct was not even to mourn. My first instinct was to, to strike fast and hard. So I wrote the following post. It does not matter if the Orlando shooter was Muslim. His identity does not justify Islamophobia. Our fear does not justify Islamophobia. Our trauma does not justify Islamophobia. Our sadness does not justify Islamophobia. Our heartbreak does not justify Islamophobia. Today, it is our obligation as a queer community to remember that Islamophobia, homophobia, and transphobia work together. Today, it is our obligation as queer people to proclaim that the same forces that marginalize queer people in the United States are used to marginalize Muslims. Today, we need to remember that joy, love, and celebration are still possible, that queer and allied Muslims are an integral part of the queer community. Today, we must stand together against the wave of prejudice, hatred, and violence sweeping our country. Last night, Just three hours before the attack began, I stopped at the bodega in my neighborhood for some ice cream. The Muslim couple who run the bodega were sitting behind the counter. The husband speaks English and his wife is still learning. After I made my purchase, the husband translated on behalf of his wife. What lipstick are you wearing? He asked. It's from Sephora. It's my favorite. I responded. His wife said something to him in Arabic the same language that my grandparents spoke when they immigrated to the United States from Syria in the 1950s, the language that I do not speak but wish I could. He turned to me. She says that she likes your lipstick. She thinks that you look beautiful. Today, we mourn together.
1: You're listening to Stories with a Heartbeat. I'm Will McInerney. Our last poet today is Alexis Pauline Gumbs, who lives in North Carolina.
6: June 12th is my birthday. So I first found out about the shooting in Orlando on Facebook, where I was going to check what my friends had written on my wall. I felt like knowing that the Latina night at a gay club had been a target for a mass murder, meant that members of my community were stolen. This poem is called Pulse, and it's for our loved ones in Orlando who we didn't get to meet. I was going to see you. I was going to dance in the same place with you someday. I was going to pretend not to notice how you and your friends smiled when you saw me and my partner trying to cumbia to bachata but I was going to feel more free anyway because you were smiling and we were together and you had your stomach out and you felt beautiful in your sweat I was going to smile when I walked by I was going to hug you the first time a friend of a friend introduced us I was going to compliment your shoes instead of writing you a love poem I was going to smile at you every time I saw you and struggle to remember your name. We were going to sing together. We were going to belt out Selena. I was going to mispronounce everything except for Amor and ay ay I, I. I was going to covet your confidence and your bracelet. I was going to be grateful for the sight of you. I was going to scream, yes, at nothing in particular, at everything especially, meaning you, meaning you beyond who I knew you to be. I was going to see you in hallways and be too shy to say hello. You were going to come to the workshop. You were going to sign up for the workshop and not come. You were going to translate the webinar even though my politics seemed out there. We were going to sign up for creating change the same day and be reluctant about it for completely different reasons. We were going to watch the keynotes and laugh at completely different times. I was going to hold your hand in a big activity about the intimacy of strangers, about the strangeness of needing prayer. We were going to get the same automated voice message when we complained that it was not what it should have been. We were going to be standing in the same line for various overpriced drinks during a shift change. I was going to breathe loudly so you would notice me. You were going to compliment my hair. It isn't fair because we were going to work to Beyonce and Rihanna and the Rihannas and Beyonce's to come and the Beyonce's and Rihanna's after that. We were going to not drink enough water and stay out later than our immune systems could handle. We were going to sit in traffic in each other's blind spots, listening to top 40 songs that trigger queer memories just outside the scope of marketing predictions. We were going to get old, and I was going to wonder about the hint of a tattoo I could see under your sleeve. I was going to blink and just miss the fought-for laughter lines around your liner-loved eyes. I was going to go out for my birthday, but I didn't, and you did. We were going to be elders just because we were still around, and I was going to listen to you on a panel we didn't feel qualified for and hear you talk about your guilt for still being alive when so many of your friends were taken by suicide, by AIDS, by racist police, and jealous ex-lovers, and poverty, and no access to health care, and how you had a stable job you suffered at until the weekend, how you avoided the drama and only went to the club at Pride and so here you were with no one to dance with anymore. I was going to see you and forget you and only remember you in my hips and how my smile came easier than clenching my teeth eventually and how I finally learned whatever it is, I still haven't learned yet. I was going to hear you laugh and not know why and not care. Our ancestors fought for a future, and we were both going to be there, until we weren't. And so I don't know if it would hurt more to lose you later, after knowing you. I don't know if it would hurt more to know you died on your own day, by your own hands, or any of the other systems that stalk you and me and ours forever. I only know the pain that I am having, and that you are not here to share it. You are not here to bear it. You were going to pass me a candle, at the next vigil. But now, I am Pulse. And now, you are flame.
1: That was poet Alexis Pauline Gumbs. We also heard from Christopher Soto, Queen Sheba, Sierra de Mulder, Jameson Fitzpatrick, Del Delshad, and Jacob Tabaya. You can find all the poems and more about the writers on our website, wunc.org heartbeat. And of course, you can also find them where I found them, on Facebook. Whether it's a status update or a published poem, it is often said that writing is the practice of immortality. And when we choose to write about tragedy, about those we have lost, we honor them. And when we speak those words aloud, we remember them. We bring them back into the room with us. Poetry does things the newscast can't. It helps us feel and connect. It brings us closer to the humanity of it all, so maybe, maybe we will do something. Make sure this doesn't happen again. For the victims, the survivors, their family, and friends. This is Stories with a Heartbeat. I'm Will Mackinney. This podcast is a production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. This episode was produced by David Brower and me. Our original music was composed by Stephen Leviton, also known as the Apple Juice Kid. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the podcast platform of your choice. Listen, rate, and review our episodes and share these stories with your friends. It helps make this show possible. In Chapel Hill, North Carolina, I'm Will McInerney.